a series called Five Things That God Uses to Grow Your Faith. And when I'm talking about grow your faith, I'm talking about your ability to trust in God, no matter how good the situation is or no matter how bad the situation is, that God is stable, God is trustworthy, God can be trusted. And so um, as we look at how we grow in our faith, this is what we're talking about. I'm not talking about an accumulation of knowledge. Okay, that's important because a lot of people say, well, what's your faith? You know, we think about things that we believe. But here we're talking about our ability to trust God, even in the most difficult times. And we started talking about, well, what are the things that we need to do? Number one is practical teaching, meaning that reading the Bible is important. We should be in the word every single day, but also we should be applying it to our lives. I mean, you know, I'm going through the book of Ezekiel in my devotions. And even in Ezekiel, you know, I'm finding things that God is teaching me and telling me how I could apply Ezekiel in my life. And we talked about providential relationships that, you know, at certain periods of times in our lives, God places certain people in our life to walk alongside of us, right, to help us um, trust God to increase our faith when it's hard for us to believe in God. God places these people. And the question was, can you be one of those people to walk alongside an individual? Last week, um, we talked about personal disciplines, and Annette talked about the importance of um, practicing these personal disciplines because they put us in a place where we what could relate to God in a more intimate way. And, you know, when she was speaking, it was like, you know, a mother, you know, just wrapping her arms around you, right? But guess what? Dad's back. And what's my title? Get off the bench and get into the game. (laughs) And so, you know, difference, but, you know, that's just, you know, how God made each one of us and how we um, relate to the body of Christ. And so we're talking about personal ministry. That is so important. If you want to grow in your um, faith, you got to get involved in ministry. You have to get involved in ministry because many of you here are beneficiaries of somebody who had the courage to get up and follow God's call and get involved in ministry. And unbeknownst to you, you benefited from that. And so what we're talking about here, that there are people that God has lined up for you to benefit. The goal and the choice that we have to make is, are we going to get involved or not? You know, you know for those of you who played, how many of you played sports when you were younger? Any kind of sport, you know? Okay, so maybe about half of you played some sort of sport, right, when you were young. And, and you know, for me, you know, I... I I was a baseball player. You know, baseball was my sport. But you all know the bench, the concept called the bench, right? And the bench could be a place of comfort or it could be a place of shame, right? It could be a place of safety, right? And I started baseball when I was in fourth grade. I know kids are starting sports now in preschool, but I started in fourth grade, right? And um, I didn't know anything about baseball, And so for three years, between fourth grade and seventh grade, I never hit the ball. 
I mean, the, and, and people knew I was bad. The pitchers, so I didn't even get to walk. They said, this guy can't hit. I'm just going to throw strikes, right? So I didn't even get the privilege of at least walking, even though I was just praying, oh, Lord, just allow me to walk. And to me, a win was if I could close my eyes, swing, and hit a foul ball. Hey, that was like a home run to me. And then they would stick me out in right field, right? Because most of the balls don't go there. And in that time, everybody had to play. And I think that time was probably when my prayer life was the strongest. You know, when I'm out there in right field and at the end of the game, and I don't know why they always put me in at the end of the game, because sometimes it mattered. And you're out there, oh, Lord, please don't have him hit it to me. Please don't have him hit it to me. And then he hits it to you. say, oh, Lord, you know, and, and you just pray, oh, Lord, please let me catch the ball. And you're out there like this, right? But it was humiliating, and it was tough being on that bench. But it was a place of safety for me. Because as long as I was on the bench, I didn't have to be humiliated on the field. And so the bench was a place of comfort to me. Until one, I don't know if my father was embarrassed or not, or maybe three years of his son striking out. You know, he took me to the batting cage during the week. And so there was a batting cage, and it was in Glendale, and so I went. And then the very next Saturday, one of our players was injured so that I had to play. And the whole team was, oh, man, Fukuyama's going to have to play the entire game. I hit the ball five times. Got on base three times. And from that point on, I never sat on the bench. That year, I got the trophy for the most improved player. Where, you know, where the, uh, before the bench was a place of safety, once you start playing, I didn't want to be on the bench. They moved me from right field to center field. When the game was on the line and there was a guy on third, I was praying, oh, Lord, please have the ball hit to me because I want to throw this guy out at home. Or when there was guys in scoring position at the end of the game, Lord, please let this guy at least get on bat so I could get my bat because I want to hit. Because once you're in the game, there's this exhilaration, there's this excitement, and you don't want to go back to sit on the bench, right? But some of us today are sitting on that bench in our spiritual lives because it's a place of comfort. It's a place of safety. When God wants us out there playing so we could experience God's power. And today we're going to learn from the feeding of the 5,000, right? Actually, it's more like 10,000 if you include women and children. But as we go through this, oftentimes when we study the scriptures, we answer the question, the who, what, where, when, and the whys. And I think those are important questions to ask. They're important details to look at when we start to study, when we study scripture, But we forget to ask ourselves, what would I have done if I was in that situation, right? And when we skip this question, you know, especially when we read it, we know the outcome. When we we skip the question of what would I do if I was in that separation, we separate our experiences from those who are in the Bible. We said, well, Peter did this. John did that. Well, you know, the Apostle Paul handled it this way, and James handled it that way. We separate our experience from theirs, and we see that, yes, God uh, worked in their ways, but that was their experience, and he probably wouldn't work that way with us, right? 
Now, when it comes to feeding the 5,000, most likely none of us will be asked to do something of that, you know, magnitude. But you better believe God is going to call you out of your comfort zone. God wants you out on the playing field. He doesn't want you in the bench. So when we look at this um, uh, account, I want you to ask yourself, what would I do if I was so-and-so? So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Matthew 14? When we're going to start with verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by the boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus heard what what happened, well, what happened? Well, he heard that his um, cousin John, the Baptist, was executed. And so he went away to grieve and to process his loss. And then it says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Even in his grief, Jesus had compassion on people. And this is what's important. This is what's important as we look at the rest of this story. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they could go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Then Jesus replied, they, don't, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Talk about a curveball that Jesus throws at them. Talk about a request that never in a million years would they expect Jesus to request this of them. And if you take a look at the other's account, it would, you know, some of the disciples said it would take them more than a half a year's wages. Are we going to spend it all on just bread? And another passage where it says, and Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's of wages to buy enough bread for each just to have a bite. You know, we're having an in-and-out truck today. What if I went out and told the cooks, this is what I want you to do. I want, to cut, I want you to cut each double-double into eighths. And that's all. I want you to give one-eighth to each person, and that'll satisfy them, right? That's what we're talking about here, right? And, and so the first point here is God's calling us, uh, God's calling for us to serve is not contingent on favorable circumstances. This is really, really, really important. Because a lot of times we think that God's going to call us when things are good. God's going to call us when I'm strong. God's going to call us when we're ready, right? But here we see God's calling us um, to serve is not contingent on favorable circumstances. Jesus was grieving over the loss of his cousin, The crowds were tired and hungry. The disciples were probably tired and worn out from crowd control, right? So this was the situation, right? Not very favorable for the disciples. Not very favorable for Jesus. But then what does Jesus say? You give them something to eat. You minister to them, right? And this must have really thrown the disciples off the game because they're already tired. And they said, Jesus, just send them out to Costco. You know, they could get their food there. But what did Jesus say? No, you give them something to eat. 
I don't ever know. Uh, my guess is none of us here have ever had the responsibility to feed 10,000 people. That would be like a packed Galen Center. And Jesus said, feed them. Where would you get, uh, even though we're, you know, in L.A., where would you get enough food at the spur of the moment to feed that many people? And then what does it say here? He says, we have, in verse 17, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. In another account, it said that, you know, Andrew was the one who found the boy who had five uh, loaves of bread and two small fish. But Andrew even says, how far will this grow among so many? Right? If you were Andrew and you came up to a boy who had five loaves of bread and two fish, after Jesus told you, you feed him, what would you do? Or would you say, hey, this is more than enough. Thank you. My guess, you'd be like me. I would have just told the little boy, you know what? Just keep it. At least one person's not going hungry tonight. You know, just keep it and eat it, right? But even Andrew, this is who Andrew was. If you take a look at Andrew, Andrew was the one who was always what? Bringing people to Jesus. You know, this was his personal ministry. And so how many of you would have done that? Right? You know, when you think about it, um, Andrew probably would have faced a lot of ridicule from the rest of the disciples, right? They're looking around and Andrew said, hey, this guy's got five loaves and two fish. What do you think the other disciples are going to say? Are you out of your mind? You think this is going to feed the people? And so how many of you are not willing to get in the game? How many of you are not willing to get into personal ministry because of ridicule? Because you think that you don't have enough or that people might think you're crazy, right? Andrew was able to bring this boy to Jesus. Talk about unfavorable circumstances that Jesus put his disciples in. See, God's ability to use you for ministry is not dependent on your resources. And this is another important point. God's ability to use you for ministry is not dependent on your resources. On its own, five loaves of bread and two fish. That's not enough. That's not enough to feed anybody, right? How many, time, how many of you are sitting here right now, not in the game, because you feel that you don't have the resources? You know what? A lot of times you're not going to have those resources. You know, I came to Lord, know the Lord when I was, eight, when I was um, a senior, no, when I was a sophomore in high school. And so we had a youth group. We didn't have a youth director. It was myself, my brother, and maybe three other high school kids. And so we didn't know how to run a youth. So we said, okay, let's have a Bible study. And they said, Dave, you're supposed to teach. I said, well, I just came to know Jesus. How am I supposed to teach a Bible study? They go, don't worry. Just get the Bible and teach. Well, at that time, my father had the pulpit commentaries. Those were old school 
commentaries. The font was like five. You could hardly see them. But when I was reading the, even this passage where it says Matthew 14, 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Easy enough, right? Well, and I, I just happened to look that up in the public commentary this week. Just in that passage, there were three references to Greek words and Greek phrases written in Greek. And here I was, a high schooler, trying to figure it out. They had one Latin phrase explaining something, a reference to John Calvin. I had no idea who John Calvin was, right? And I said, how am I supposed to use? And the English was difficult to understand. And I said, Lord, how am I supposed to use this to help me know the Bible better so I could teach these group of people who know as much about the Bible as I do? Well, you know what? I had to struggle. I had no resources, and I used that pulpit commentary, let alone when I had to get into Genesis. Not only did I have Greek, I had Hebrew, right? And I was saying, I can't do this. But then, what? God used that period. Even though I didn't have the resources, I taught. I taught. And then um, in college, we had a college group, small college group, Guess who they told to teach the Bible? It was me. I said, I, don't have, I can't teach college students at a college level. But they asked me to teach. And my advisor said, you know, sometimes I had a good lesson. And others, they said, Dave, that was really bad. <laughs> you know? But you know what? All throughout my ministry, I never had the qualifications, or I never felt that I had the qualifications. I was always at five loaves and two fish. But sometimes that's all you have, right? That's all you have. And Jesus says, bring them here to me in Matthew fourteen eighteen. Jesus will use what little you have. Because here we see five Loaves of bread and two fish as nothing. What does Jesus see? He sees a banquet with that, right? And you might come to Jesus and say, you know what? I only could do this. I have no experience. You know, I don't know that much. I only have five loaves and two fish. And you think this is nothing. This will never help anybody. But Jesus says, oh, you don't know what I could do with this. This is a banquet. Watch what I could do with five loaves and two fish. You know, like I said, in ministry, every aspect of my ministry, I had no experience and no clue of what I was doing, even to the point when I became senior pastor here. You know, I learned by making a lot of mistakes and learning from my mistakes and saying, Jesus, here's five loaves and two fish. This is all I have. You're calling me. I don't know why, but please do something with this, right? It's kind of like what um, Angela Lee Duckworth said. Remember, um, I shared that time where she was said the most, she was saying that she believes the greatest determination of success is not knowledge. It's not how much you know, right? She said it's grit. And I was saying, man, I've been preaching this all along, you know. You know, I said, oh, it's just she's more famous and she gets more notoriety. And what is grit? 
Grit is a grit is the ability to continue on even though you failed. It's when you get knocked down to the mat, and instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to just stay down, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to try again. And you may get knocked down again, but it's like, okay, God, I'm going to get up and try again. That's what grit is, right? And we need that to be involved in ministry, right? We need that. It's so important that we're not going to be perfect, that five loaves and two bread, you know, a lot of times, ooh, we're going to feed the 10,000. Sometimes I give it to Jesus, and I fail, and I fall flat on my face. What do I do? I learn from these lessons. I have to get up and keep going. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. You know, out of all of the miracles that Jesus did, walking on water, raising the dead, healing the sick, calming the storms, right? This is the one of all his miracles. This is the one I wished I could have seen, right? Could you imagine that? Five, and, and just to witness how he did that. You know, like people had, okay, here's a, some Chilean sea bass. Okay, here, you take half. Whoa, here. Whoa, and bread. Didn't I just give you some? Okay. What? You know, could you just imagine what that would have been like to see that? That's why out of all of Jesus' miracles, <clears throat> this is the one that I would have loved to see the most. But could you imagine the excitement of the disciples? 10,000 people, five loaves of bread and two fish. And they're seeing this miracle happen in front of their face, and they have 12 baskets left over what and what a joy what of an experience that must have been for them but what if philip chose not to participate because he was one who was skeptical 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 uh, skeptical about this what if he chose not to participate and said okay if you guys want to make fools of yourself go ahead i'm just gonna go here and take a nap right and then the 10,000 would have been failed. And then all he would have had it was what? Stories. And he would have been full of regret that he missed it. We only experience God's power when we choose to get into the game. Okay? You don't experience the power of God when you're on the bench. You only experience the power of God when you get in that game. And that's a choice that each one of us have to make, right? Because, you know, after this, we know that um, Jesus sent him out onto the lake. There was a great storm, and this is where, you know, Peter walked on water. But it's interesting. It's not up there, but in Mark 6, 51, you know, after Jesus and, you know, Peter got into the water um, boat with them, it says, then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, and catch this, for they had not understood about the loaves and their heart was hardened. 
Jesus sent them out on a lake right after this. There was waves, and they saw Jesus walking on water. They just were freaked out. They were afraid. And so what happens? Jesus gets into the boat, and the storm calmed. But it says they did not remember the lesson of the loaves. They had just seen 10,000 people be fed. They were amazed. And then what? This next event happened. They didn't trust God. And their hearts were hardened. You know, when we see the power of God display in our, li- in our lives, and then we refuse to act in obedience in the future out of fear, guess what? Our hearts will be hardened. And that's true. And some of you might have experienced that. Well, you've seen God work in the future. Then God is saying, okay, Dave, I wanted you to learn another lesson. You go, oh, no, God, that's too much. You know, I I can handle that one. I would rather sit this one out. I'd rather sit on the bench. The bench is a lot more comfortable um, for me. Guess what? If that's our attitude then the same thing happens to us that happened to the disciples. Our heart gets hardened, right? And the longer we reject God's personal call to ministry, the harder it is to get back in the game. The longer you sit on the bench when the coach is telling you, Fukuyama, get in the game. And no, coach, I'm, I'm cool. I, I just want to sit here. The longer you sit on that bench, the harder it is to get back into the game. Why? Because as we've seen in Scripture here, our hearts get hardened. But, you know, I'm happy sitting in the bench, on the bench. I'm happy being in the classroom. I'm happy just sitting in the Bible study, just learning, right? And you're happy sitting on the bench. When Jesus says, I'm calling you out there. I'm calling you to get in the game. And it's going to be more challenging and challenging and challenging as you grow. But this is the way God grows your faith. You know, if he could be trusted in one thing, then he says, surely, Dave, I could be trusted in this. Right? But once you get into that game, you'll just experience the amazement of what, just being amazed at what God could do. Right As I look back on my life and I look at all of the times, and there are a lot of them, I can't even count them, where well, I said, God, I don't know how this is going to work. But I look back, and God took five loaves and two fish, and he fed 5,000 with it. He could do that to you. It doesn't matter how much you have. Right? Two fish and five loaves is a banquet. For Jesus, And it could be for you too, but it's a choice. And I encourage each one of you to get in the game. And so what's our weekly challenge? i like us all to meditate on Matthew 14, 13 through 24 daily. And when it comes to your personal ministry, are you sitting on the bench or playing in the game? God might be calling, to you, calling you to ministry at this church. God might be calling you to ministry at your workplace. God might be calling to ministry in the family. God, God might be actually placing you in a season right now where he says, you know what, I want you to leave Mission Valley. I want you because I'm calling you over here. You know, so your ministry might be outside 
the church. And that's one thing that you're going to notice. The more mature you get, that God's going to start calling you outside the walls of the church to serve. Wherever it is, are you sitting on the bench or are you playing in the game? And if you're sitting on the bench, ask God for an opportunity to serve somebody this week and really take that to heart because the longer we sit on the bench, the more comfortable we get on sitting on that bench, the harder it is to get into the game. You know, today we get to, um, oh, worship team, could you please come forward to take communion, right? And it's only because Jesus obeyed God that we have, you know, eternal life. But it didn't come cheap. It came at a price. And remember, even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, God, if this cup can be taken away from me, right? God, is there any other way? But right after that, what did he say? But not my will, but your will be done. You know, even Jesus questioned, God, is there another way? You know, but God said, no, I need you in the game. This is the most important event in your life here on earth. This is why I sent you into this. I sent you to earth. And that's when Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, the apostle Paul writes, for I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And here at Mission Valley, we um, celebrate an open communion. And what that means is that communion is open to all, whether you're a member of this church, whether you're a free Methodist, it doesn't matter, as long as you are a believer in Christ. Because we're doing this to what? Remember, you know, what Jesus did, right? And it's important. So if you're not a believer, that's okay. There's no shame in taking this. I know for your first time, you're probably hearing, what are, we, what are they doing? You know, you, you know, we encourage you, you know, don't take communion because this is a time for us who, to proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And so once again, if you are not a believer, there's no shame, no embarrassment in not taking this. But this is what he said. This is my body which was for you. Take it and do this in remembrance of me. He said, for whenever you... No, it's in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This represents Christ's blood, that we are no longer under the law, that we are now under the covenant of grace, and that we no longer have to work for our salvation, that our salvation is through faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for sending your Son to die on the cross for us, for giving us an example of what, can you, what you can do when we give you our five loaves of bread and two fish. And Father, it may not seem like much to us, 
But to you, Father, it's more than enough. So if you're sitting here right now and you feel that God is calling you to do something, and you feel that you don't have the resources, that you would make that commitment to place your trust in Jesus Christ and his ability and not yours. Father, I pray for those here right now whom you are calling to personal ministry. Father, for you call all of us, for all ministers. Father, would you give the courage, us the courage to obey your word? Even though if we think the task is undoable, for nothing is impossible with you. And we could do all things through him who gives us strength. So, Father, I pray as we walk with you this week that we keep our focus on you and your ability and your resources to serve others and not in our own. In your son's name we pray. Amen.